I wanted to just kind of run through what we'll be talking about so you'll have an idea of what's coming up and can even get some questions ready. See, we have some more people joining us here. So uh, Bob will talk about uh, examining the comps and about the importance of doing that research to start out, uh, determining your budget, because it's more than the purchase of the property, especially if you're doing a renovation or if it's an existing property, you've got a plan for what is it worth spending and then how it may fit into an exit strategy if you've uh, if you happen to uh, uh, you know that you need to have and then about attracting bids, working with contractors, planning your schedule. So there's a lot to get to. Uh, we'll then talk about zoning and permits and what you need and things to walk, uh, watch for, tricks of the trade. Uh, we'll talk about the, the horror of finding the right general contractor. And if it's more than one contractor, how you've got to manage that, because one schedule gets thrown off, it could kill your project. It could cost you, it could cause major delays all the way down the line. So just a lot of things that go into it. We'll talk about how you can use the, the custom interactive virtual staging as part of the whole procedure and uh, show you ways that we can help. So uh, why don't we, uh, we'll go back to uh, kind of back through here. And it of course starts, uh, Bob, with doing your research. So uh, why don't we uh, get started? So uh, whether you're doing a single family home, two flat, three flat, or, or even apartment buildings uh, and, and commercial property, it's really important that you do your research. Uh, what does that mean? Well, first of all, I think it's important that you have some type of a business plan. Uh, and what, what's included in that business plan? A lot of it is financially driven, but probably one of the most basic questions people have to look at is, what is my exit strategy? And you want to work backwards from that. A lot of times people will go in and say, am I going to flip this property? Am I going to, um, am I going to go and uh, uh, rent this out? Or am I going to live in it? You, you still go through the same things that you would do uh, if you were going to live in it that you would if you were doing it as an investment piece of property. So when we talk about examining comps, what does that really mean? Well, you know, it's, it's really your form of evaluation of a particular area, uh, residential homes. And what you try to do is you're um, examining comps. If you look at recent sales in the area um, and then try to match it up, you can match it up on a square footage basis. Um, yeah, or you could do it as a, um, uh, a, a, as a comp, for example, if it's a four bedroom house comp it to other four bedroom houses that have gone in the area. Then uh, we mentioned about a budgeting. A budgeting is a, is a very uh, difficult thing because when you're budgeting for something, again, you wanna look at your exit strategy. A budget, if you're gonna live in a house, your budget might be a little higher than you normally would. If you're gonna flip a house, you're probably gonna have a higher budget than you would if you were going to rent out a house because in a rental, most of the work and things that you um, put into that home are with a tenant are obviously going to get uh, wear and tear done on it very, very uh, quickly. So you kind of plan for that budget a little bit differently, whether you to own it, whether you are to rent it, or whether you are to flip it. So the exit strategy drives a lot of that stuff going forward. So why don't we move on to um, the next slide uh, area, or unless anyone has a question regarding research. Uh, I, I strongly encourage that research is an important part of, of the process and, and, and it gets everything in line by having uh, your, your research in, in line. And I'll show how some of the pitfalls down the road. Um, so if there are no questions related to that, we can always pick them up at the end. Let's talk no, actually, a little bit. Yeah, we, we do have already a couple oh, of questions coming in. So. Great folks uh, around the country, but um, we have uh, Jeff from St. Louis. Oh, I know Jeff. Yeah, from St. Louis. And so as far as the research part, um, he heard your comment as far as, you know, whether or not you're planning to flip or rent it out. And so his question is, you know, when that part of it, so what, you know, what's the difference in planning? Uh, if you're going to flip it, it still has to appeal to either 
the buyer or the tenant. So how might that affect your, your research? That's a great question. So if I'm going to flip a property, the ultimate buyer is usually a person who wants to obviously live in that home. Um, your finishes may be different. Um, your, um, your cabinetry may be different between a flip and a house that you're going to rent out. Um, you may do um, wood floors in a house you're gonna flip because that's what people are really attracted to right now. Uh, whereas in a rental, you might just leave um, what you have and, and, and go with just some basic carpeting or, or some other type of the laminate type, um, like I like to call it kind of laminate fake wood that is very popular right now where you put those pieces together. Um, it's less expensive than wood floors, but you would do that in a rental house because you're going to have a lot more wear and tear on um, Quality of paint, for example, might be different. You might be willing to use a Benjamin Moore paint in a house that you're going to flip versus um, a good quality Home Depot type paint. But these are all the things that are going to impact your budget because your, your renter is somebody that's going to want to move in but a year later, um, that house is going to have to be updated again if you're going to decide that you want to sell that off to a buyer. Okay, thank you. Uh, another question. This is from Carrie. Uh, she wanted to know when uh, it talks or mentions on the slide, what do we mean by examining comps? And I guess that means, you know, examining what are you looking for and um, I, I guess I'll extend out the question that I think she means without, you know, having to type it all in. Uh, in this case, when you're looking for comps, when there needs to be or you're looking to do a renovation, uh, it probably is along the lines of making and doing your research, making the distinction between what you have to do versus what you would like to do. I think that's where she's going with the question. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a number of variables. So when you're examining comps, again, you're looking at it from the perspective of, am I going to rent it, am I going to flip it, or am I going to own it? Those are kind of your three most common questions that you're going to ask yourself as you're doing this. So for example, if you are going to renovate a four-bedroom house, one of the things you'd want to be looking at in those comps is, what's the market for four-bedroom homes? that market a four bedroom house, you might wanna take one of those bedrooms and turn it into a three bedroom house. And now that people have gone remote and are working a lot at home, you might take that fourth bedroom and turn it into an office space, for example. You've gotta determine if by doing that, you're going to lose money in, 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 in the comps because it have other homes, three bedrooms with a, um, an office, are, are those as valuable uh, and comparable to a to a four bedroom house or am I better off keeping it as a four bedroom house because somebody is a family who has multiple kids and want, all want their own bedrooms. Um, those are kind of some of the things when you're looking at when you're examining the comps. Is your business plan or what you wanna do with the house fit into what others have sold for in that neighborhood? Because what you don't wanna do is, um, a good example too is, is bathrooms um, and kitchens. Most people, um, want to renovate a bathroom or a kitchen, just, you know, update it. Um, so again, you know, if I renovate a bathroom, um, for example, a lot of people are pulling tubs out and putting them in with walk-in showers. That seems to be a new trend all of a sudden. Um, I know a lot of people now that have done that in their own homes. Can you get your money out by doing that? Or are people still, would they prefer a bathtub or whirlpool tub versus that walk-in shower? That's what you're kind of looking for in the comps. In other words, what am I going to do in my plan? Will I get that back in the form of uh, a price appreciation for doing that type of work? Okay, great answer and a great lead in to the next part because you get into zoning and permits. Yeah. So even your example of, you know, uh, sometimes adding an extra bedroom or doing work within does not require a permit. A lot of times it does. But it's as you know, it's the idea that it works differently with uh, different municipalities, and also uh, how a renovation might also uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be inside. It could be that you're looking to add additional parking spaces or a deck 
or some type of either common amenity or something for the tenant. So wanted to pick up on this part of the topic. Yeah, I mean, this is an important area because it impacts what you do with a property. Um, and, and I'm going to start with zoning first because it's very important that you understand that your, your permits are driven by the zoning. Um, I'll give you an example, uh, a recent one. Uh, I, I was working with somebody and they have a um, non-conforming uh, three flat in a residential single family home area. Um, so when we say it's non-conforming, it means it, it, the zone, it doesn't fit the zoning that was in that area. So right away, you have a zoning violation. But in many cases, some of those violations are grandfathered in. So the, who's gonna be impacted? If we went and bought that house, we're gonna be impacted if we wanna do something other, if we want to keep it as a three flat, we're not gonna be able to do that when we purchase it. We're gonna actually have to go in to the town and that local municipality and ask them to rezone this so that we can maintain that three flat, which we just bought. Now that could be a problem in a lot of municipalities because if it's all single family homes around it, nobody wants to have a three flat amongst all these single family homes. It was actually grandfathered in as a two flat. So one of the options you have in that instance is to convert it back to a two flat. However, in this particular case, because zoning is so important, I suggested, let's forget two flats and three flats. We're gonna renovate this house. Let's renovate it into a single family home because that's what the rest of the area has. Again, back to our point about examining comps. If I turn that into a single family home I'm, I'm, and, and I intend to flip it, I'm gonna have a higher likelihood to be able to sell that off as a single family home in that neighborhood, renovated than I am to renovate something and do a two flat and have to live in one area and, and try to rent it, rent out the other space. That's gonna be a little more difficult in my business plan. So the point here is that you gotta start with your zoning first to determine what you, you, you're going to do with your property. And if something is not properly zoned, be careful, don't buy it. You gotta make sure that you have the appropriate zoning. So now if the zoning gets back in place, then we move to the next, step in the process, which is the permit. Now, a lot of times general contractors and people will say to the owners, uh, we don't need a permit. Well, we don't need a permit because we're taking your roof off and we're just re-roofing what was already there. We're taking an existing bathroom, we're taking off all the tile, the drywall and everything else, and we're putting it back up. Again, that's a lot of times you can get away with that, but I guess what I always like to encourage people is that the reason you want to get a permit is to make sure you're properly in the code and the zoning in that municipality. What, what a permit does is you have to list out your general contractor and all your subcontractors, primarily electricians, plumbers, roofers are the primary ones that you list out. Um, generally, you don't have to list out carpentry and drywall, but it's very important you list those out so that the inspector comes and looks at that work. And by looking at that work, they'll tell you, yes, this is up to code, this is fine, it passes. So you have an extra layer in there that's helping you, the owner, uh, it, it not have to be the person that has to go back to your general contractor and say, hey, I don't like the way you wired this, or I don't like the way the plumbing is here, or, or what have you. So it's very important that you go through the extra process of getting a permit. But again, zoning and permits are very tied together. So it's very important that you understand that. Okay, Bob, we did have a question right along those lines from Raphael, and this is a really valuable, uh, a valuable question is he's asking about the, the timing. Yes. So how long does it take to, you know, to get the permit and how soon can you start and just kind of a, how does that part of it work? Sure. I'll start with the caveat, it, 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 it's the local municipality that will, will govern this process. It's not the state and it's not the federal government. So it's your local town. Um, it's not your county, it's your town. So if you live in XYZ town, they have a planning commission and they have a, a, you know, a board of trustees. Um, both of, their, of them are involved in the process. If you're going to get something rezoned, you have to go first in front of the planning commission with your plans and who's doing the work and all of that and ask them to rezone something. Um, 
that process uh, probably you're going to have to say in most municipalities is planning commissions meet about once a month and is and the trustees meet maybe twice a month. So you're probably looking at anywhere from 45 to 60 days to get something rezoned. And that's assuming everything goes well. As far as a permit goes, um, in most municipalities that are doing work, permits will go a little bit quicker. You should be able to get a permit within uh, 14 to 30 days would be the long time out. Usually they'll have it back to you within about two weeks after you've submitted everything. Um, most municipalities are doing things online now. So you can submit everything online. Um, in some municipalities, I, I had a lot of work done over COVID times. And all we, we never talked to, we never saw physically anybody at any of the municipalities. And we were able to get things done in, in, in a very short period of time to go in and do these renovations. So that's a general rule of thumb. Okay, we've got a question from uh, the initials AG. So, uh, but along those same lines, so um, it's do I as the investor need to get the permits, but do I need to wait till I take over the property? And then at what point do I bring the contractor in? Again, it's more a different question regarding the timing. What's my most effective way to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so um, timing is, is, is important. And if you're purchasing a property, you should make sure that there are some clauses in there that allow you to investigate, especially if you're thinking of changing of zoning or if you're going to do something significant in, in your renovation. Um, that you wanna have, so you don't buy the property until you've had a conversation with probably somebody at the planning uh, com committee um, or, or somebody in the municipality that deals with the you know, zoning and permits and explain to them what you're going to be doing and get a kind of a just, uh, yeah, that we can do that. Um, some towns are much more aggressive in allowing things to happen, um, others are not. So if you're in a town that's gonna to be very difficult to work with, you wanna make sure that um, you've kind of gone through the, 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 the makings before you, you purchase the property. I would say once you purchase the property, you're gonna to need to go in for that permit, assuming the zoning's not an issue. For the permit, you're gonna have already selected your general contractor and he, he or she is gonna already have selected the subcontractors they're gonna use for that and they will all put that in in your permit. That will help speed along the process. You will bring them in even as an investor. Now, some general contractors will go out and get the permits for you, but you will pay the cost for it and they'll take care of all the administrative sum. Some will not. Some will say, hey, you, you as the owner or investor, you are responsible for getting this permit. I would suggest to you that you have your general contractor go get the permit um, you will have to reimburse them for the cost of the permit, but you need to do that. The other thing on that permit is um, each subcontractor will have to have a business license. It usually costs them about $100 per town to do it in. That is their responsibility. Don't let them hit you up with having to pay for them to be licensed in your appropriate municipality. That is their cost of doing business. The permit cost is not but the subcontractor's business license and the general contractor's business license costs should be your cost. It should be their cost, not your cost. Okay, thank you uh, very much for that one. Uh, that actually brings us into our, uh, what a perfect lead in to the next uh, part, which would be on finding the right general contractor. So that's a difference. And even in your last part of uh, the last piece of information mentioned about, you know, working with different subcontractors who may or may not. So uh, on the slide, we've got finding the right general contractor, but there is the, you know, some of our people do prefer to use different subcontractors. Uh, maybe they're doing some of it themselves, you know, maybe they, they're doing the carpentry, but they need somebody else to do the drywall or whatever it may happen to be. So I think that's, you know, the first part of it, but, uh, you know, in that situation, it's the need to be, a, uh, have a project manager. So everybody's on the schedule. So I know we want to talk a little bit, you know, about the importance of finding that, and that's got to be planned from the beginning. 
Correct. So um, it's a good lead in because um, I think if you'd start first by saying, what's the role of the general contractor? For those of you, and it sounds like a couple of people on here are, are investors as opposed to um, necessarily buy and hold type of people. They're investors that might buy and hold, they're investors that might flip. But the general contractor in Super Bowl vernacular, which we're having on Sunday, is, is the quarterback. And, you know, finding a quarterback that's, uh, you know, not a temperamental person uh, is, can be difficult. And you're going to run into people. And I would say to you, first and foremost, when you're finding a general contractor, it's got to be somebody that you feel comfortable you want to work with. Forget budgets, pricing, anything. Is it somebody that you, you know, can, can get along with? Um, because you're working together on this project. And I've worked with all different types of general contractors. I've been a general contractor. Um, and, and it's important that, you know, you have a rapport. The, um, the, the thing that's important is that you're all on the same page with um, how you're approaching this project. A general contractor will tell you, and, and it's good when you're investigating people, is to talk to probably narrow it down to about two or three general contractors that you'd want to ask to submit a proposal. Uh, more than that is probably overkill. Um, three is probably a good general rule. You'll want to look at their references. You'll want to look at work that they've done. Pictures are nice, but if it's somebody that's local, it'd be nice for them to take you through their projects and walk you through them. Um, before and after pictures are also nice to see too, because then you can get a handle because every renovation has its problems and you want to know what's going on when it comes into that type of thing. Um, so, you know, all in all, that's, that's really important for you to, you know, make sure that that, that um, person is, is competent, obviously. You want to know behind that general contractor. Now, some general contractors will outsource everything. They'll, they'll use subcontractors for electrical, for plumbing, for drywall, for the floors, for the roof. And they'll all be um, people that he, he or she uses on a regular basis, usually. But it's not uncommon for a general contractor to have no employees. Some general contractors will have carpenters as employees. Um, but again, it's not uncommon. So don't be scared away by a general contractor who says, I outsource everything. Um, when you're getting proposals from the general contractors, here's something that is very important right now. Get a bid that is labor only from that uh, general contractor. With the supply chain problems we have now, every general contractor will mark these things up, the materials significantly. You'll be paying a lot for wood, for drywall, for roofing materials. And that's gonna really impact your budget. Um, if you figure a budget for doing something is, let's say half and half labor and materials, um, it's probably a little high in the labor, uh, on the material side, but certainly 60-40. If you can save money, you should be going direct. You should be picking out your own materials, your own finishes, and you should be ordering up and having, you know, Home Depot, Menards, or any any other lumber place, um, you know, deliver that stuff. You can go to a plumbing place, you can go to an electrical place, and pick out all your fixtures and things like that. You should be controlling that. You should be paying for that directly. You will save yourself an awful lot of money by doing that. So you should be getting a labor-only cost. The other thing you want to do on that labor-only cost is make sure that somebody just doesn't quote it for, on a square footage basis. Because what you really want to know is you really want to squeeze somebody down on a time basis. Because if they're bidding it on time and they say, um, let's say they bid it and they say it's going to take three weeks to, to demo and complete this project. If it goes to four weeks, you're not paying any more for it, right? Because he gave you the bid on three weeks. And if they take extra time, the good news is you're not paying for that extra time. My only caveat to that is if there was a change order where something wasn't visible for them or you made changes to what you originally proposed, then that gives them the ability to rebid that and change it and charge you a little bit more. But in a normal proposal, you wanna say, give me a proposal that's based on time, not on square footage, and you will be surprised how you'll also get the focus of that general contractor because they don't want to stretch that out. They don't want to be 
two months in a job that takes that they did for a month. They're going to get killed on that one. So those are kind of some helpful hints as it relates to you know selecting the general contractor. Okay, thank you, Bob. Uh, Robert from California had a great question on that with regard to multiple bids. So he asked, what are the most important considerations or what are red flags? What's something that, you know, he can look at and then say they're, they're gone. Yep. Even they could be a thousand dollars lower. They're gone. What, what, you know, what should we look for that we don't want just as much as what we do? Right. So the, the, the biggest problems between general contractors and owners are lack of communication. And it starts with the proposal that you get. Many general contractors will give you a bottom line number. Oh yeah, I'll do that for $48,000. The problem with that is you don't know what you're getting for $48,000. So it's very important that whoever gives you a proposal, and again, it's gonna be a labor only proposal, um, you have to discuss the materials that you'll need um, and you, you're going to need that to because if they have to mount um, fixtures or things like that, they're going to want to know what you're going to get. But from a labor perspective, you want to make sure that there's a detailed, what we call scope of work. This is everything this person is going to do. And you want to look at the detail of that scope. Things like, um, you know, demolish all and demolish all uh, tile in the bathroom, take out all the green wall, all the drywall, remove the tubs, whatever it is, and and dispose of it. Some people will, will give you a bid and say, we'll demo this, but we're not pulling it out there. In other words, you got to now hire a dumpster and you've got to put the stuff out. So it's very important. And the difference between a good proposal and a not so good proposal is how detailed is the scope of work section. That's what you want to look for and make sure it's done. Okay. Just along those lines of finding the right general contractor and the timing, uh, I think it's a good idea to stress, and you probably have a ton of horror stories, but that's what we're here for. The, the timing, it needs to be scheduled. So if you're going to do all new flooring, paint the walls, and do new countertops for the kitchen, there's an order it has to be. You want to get the walls done before you do the floor. And where then where do the countertops fit in? Because somebody, they debris leaks or paint splatters or whatever the case might be. You don't want to screw up the new job. And in a lot of cases, it's it could be three different contractors or subcontractors that are responsible for each of those phases. So... How do we coordinate that for our renovation? That happens a lot, and that's where that's where things go wrong. So another thing you could add into your proposal and contract is they oftentimes you'll see this in commercial, and there's no reason we can't do it in residential. Is you'll have a, a timeline of when things need to be completed um, to move on to the next step. So you certainly can ask your general contractor to give you a timeline as to what's being done when and when they expect that to be done. Um, it, it's not used that common in, in a residential renovation, but I think it should be, just like scope of work is. It? It's a, lot, a lot of it is bottom line handshake stuff. If you expand on scope of work and you expand on a timeline, um, another thing that hasn't happened much in residential, but it's more so in commercial, but there's a clause called the liquidated damages clause. And that is, this is like a daily penalty if you're late without a good reason. So, you know, you're exempted out for there's bad weather and you couldn't work, uh, things like that you're exempted from. But if you just didn't show up or something happened and that was within your control, then it's very, very important that you, um, uh, you know, go out and, and make sure that you get compensated for that delay, if you will. And again, it's something else you can add into these proposals. If you miss the schedule, you know, what's your penalty for missing the schedule other than sorry, I'll, I'll do be better next time. So that's another way to do it. But scheduling is something that you really have to stay on top with a general contractor. They are awful in terms of things like that. Okay. So uh, it's also uh, 
another question along those lines is uh this is i peggy and i hope i'm pronouncing that right from north carolina asking about uh what about insurance the contractors are insured you know i guess asking both for injury but also for if there's some damage done and who you right. know how does that go and i can understand from an investor standpoint you've just purchased a property or one that you own you need to renovate then that's not like you just pull out your homeowner's insurance policy and say let's go so how does that work is that something on the contractor side do you have to have additional coverage or you know how does that all fit into play so um that's a good question on insurance um each every general contractor should carry a liability insurance um and in that liability insurance, you get per occurrence and things like that. Um, typically, the policy is for a, a minimum of a million dollars, and that will apply to most residential things. Um, the other thing that they should show you is workers' comp. So if one of the uh, individuals gets hurt on the job, um, uh, most of the time the subcontractors will have workers' comp on their own workers, but assuming that's not, you know, not the case, then they, they, the general contractor must have workers' comp insurance. Um, and, and you really need to uh, make sure you have both of those insurances in, um, in place. Uh, some people uh, will have the insurance policies for liability, uh, name them as an additional insured. Um, and that's something that you can work out with your own insurance people to uh, make sure that you have the additional insured clause on that liability insurance so that if something happens uh your house gets covered on their insurance as well okay some great information there so uh that's as far as finding the uh the contractor and so forth so wanted to uh move on and uh talk about a uh, little bit about the uh, the custom interactive virtual staging which uh, that's that could be a part of it more for high-end products and planning and used for the future but uh, that is through uh, myhomebuild.org and in fact and we'll put the link up in a couple of minutes but um, actually if you use the link that uh, without the W's that's rei USA, dot myhomebuild.org you get to the rei usa page on there so you'd be eligible by responding from there to the the member discount so with the custom interactive virtual staging uh, how that works and just spend a couple of minutes on this but they can take blueprints or floor plans and create it's kind of an animated rendering i guess to scale the property and then as you can even see in the uh uh, the slides we've got up, that's the same kitchen, but you can see with the different wall colors, countertops, the flooring, and you can change all that with a selection panel, but it's for how exactly how the room's going to look. And we just showed the kitchen as the best example with the selection panel, but you have the ability to uh, be able to you know, see how might the room look with a certain style of furniture? What if you did this? What if you did that? And then you can go into the living room and do the same thing, or we could even do a before and after type spread. So the idea with that is to have it done before, either before ground is broken or maybe before your renovation, like a before you're seeing the before, here's what it's going to look like. So um, it's, a, it's custom pricing. It depends on if you want to do a room or two or do a whole, you know, set of properties that type of thing and it's free to get an estimate but uh, the uses are uh, it's a way to be able to show potential investors or lenders potential partners this is what we can do so maybe you've done it for a property you're going to buy a similar property do similar thing the next time now you've got this already done uh, you can also show contractors and installers we can show what we call behind the walls so if you want to show this is where an HVAC system goes, or this is how solar panels integrate and exactly where it is in relation to the room, or we've even had one uh, builder that had us leave a portion of the floor like empty so you could see where heating coils go. So different uses like that. And ultimately, 
now the property doesn't have to be built yet. You can put a potential buyer or tenant online or even using virtual reality goggles, which more and more people have, or you could send them a set. I mean, they're a couple hundred dollars, but you've got a serious potential buyer or investor. You might do that and they can, you know, at their own time or from their own home, be able to see exactly what the property is going to look like and change details and kind of say, hey, if we painted the walls this color, it would work with our furniture and that type of thing. So that's something that we do and that's a part of it. And so I want to get back to planning your next renovation. So uh, these are the things that uh, on the screen that, uh, you know, Bob and his team can do besides the interactive virtual staging, but uh, can help with finding contractors in some cities, project management, uh, the custom interactive virtual staging and Bob too. I know we wanted to talk a little bit, but I know you've also been able to help in some cases with arranging financing because it's more than the purchase of the property. And so renovation, these are not situations that could be a mortgage and not always, if I'm understanding correctly, a construction loan. So I think that might be something to kind of focus on here for a moment. And then we'll, we're going to get into, we're getting some more questions. So I do want to take some time to go through those, but I think that's important to pick up on, Bob. Okay. Um, let me check, talk a little bit about financing because it's important. Um, you know, in real estate, the key of real estate, everybody likes to invest in real estate because of leverage. In other words, you're borrowing money um, and, and there's a lot more opportunities than we've ever seen. Um, most people don't deal with a traditional bank anymore when it comes to financing real estate. There is uh, all these uh, hedge funds and uh, private investors and, and all kinds of ways to finance it. Um, the, the, the critical part of it all is is making sure that you have not too much leverage on something, meaning I don't have 100% of it borrowed money. I have some skin in the game. Um, it just makes things a little bit easier. Um, but you know, structuring a transaction is, is very, very important. Um, there are also techniques of what we call seller financing, whereas you might buy a piece of property um, and you might Pay, you might get a mortgage for 75% of the purchase price and have the uh, seller hold back 25% of the purchase price. Uh, and then you go in and you get a construction loan, you do the work, and then you go out and you refinance it in what's called an end loan. And then you take out the, the, the first mortgage you had and you take out the seller at that point because you have a better value in the property. And now you um, can you know, work that property in, in with appropriate financing. Where people run into problems is they don't have enough money and they blow through their budget. So I'm, I'm gonna spend a few minutes on kind of common issues that you, you find. One of them is, is undercapitalized, as I like to say. You, you, you're going to have to budget for stuff that's unforeseen. When you're doing a renovation, there's always gonna be something that is unforeseen. You want to hope that that unforeseen is, is not as bad as, you know, that, that blows through your budget significantly. But you want to have some type of a, of, 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 in your budget, something there kind of for the miscellaneous, oh, I forgot about that, or I didn't expect this. What percentage is often asked? Um, you probably want to have somewhere around 10% of your budget for the what happens ifs. Um, and, and, and again, depending on how sophisticated the renovation, you might want to have a little bit more if you're really renovating an entire structure, it might be more like 20% in, in the budget as a what happens if. The other problems we've talked about is um, are things like zoning. Make sure you're zoning something for the appropriate use in the area that you're looking to buy something. Make sure you don't buy it before you know that the zoning you or what you want to do with that project is properly zoned. Make sure you can obtain a permit in that, in that area. Um, supply issues of materials. You know, we were having a problem where wood just shot up and you know, now it's kind of leveled down. It's still more expensive than it was. Drywall, things like that. So you wanna make sure that once you've kind of settled in on your project, one of the best ways to deal with inflation, when my econ teacher told me way back in college, best way to deal with inflation is buy it now. Because if you know the price is going to be up later, buy it. So when you're 
when you got your project going, go out and buy the materials. Don't sit here and think that, you know, prices are going to go out and change that significantly. Um, it takes months for, you know, prices to come down again. Um, the other, um, the other thing that I'd like to just finally stress on common problems that you'll have in a project is there's a lack of communication between the general contractor and the owner. They don't communicate. They don't write things down. And in every dispute that I've ever had to deal with all becomes a lack of communication. Somebody said, I'm going to do something and they don't do it. Or somebody said, I, I expected you to do that, but I never asked. You need to communicate and you need to put down on that scope of work and that schedule, which is very important, something in there to possibly either penalize them for missing a schedule or incentivize them for meeting a schedule. Those are two things and techniques that you can use. So I'm ready for more questions. Okay, yeah, and there are more. Just along those uh, um, same lines, it's um, how important is, um, Oh, and this was from uh, Charlie asked this question. Not sure where he's from, but uh, you'll know that you asked Charlie. Um, is uh, how important is the, uh, it's the, um, uh, he was saying like, how important is things like, you know, a, a new furnace or a new HVAC system? Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess he's, uh, if I recall, he's a multifamily guy. Okay. So he's saying as far as renovation, and I guess his point being that that, you know, is not a reason to increase the rent, but it may be a necessary expense at the time you're taking it over or making the improvement. So kind of a, you know, how does that factor into things on the financial side? Sure. Um, I have a son named Charlie, so it's obviously oh, a great okay. question. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I would say that... Um, if, if you can, um, you want to look at the life of some of these things, the life of the roof, the life, life of the HVAC system. If it's, you know, 20 years or older, um, you're probably going to have to replace those things. And in doing so, that's something that you need to budget and you need to put into your financing. Those things are, can be financed because they're actually a unit, you know, uh, and, and, a, and a unit like that has some value for, for the perspective of the lender. And, and it increases the value of the underlying property. So those type of things you want to include in your financing. You know, painting, wood floors, things like that don't necessarily translate into what the bank wants to see. They don't see that to be a, or any financing source. So it, it's, it's really judged on the life of, of something that determines whether you're gonna go forward with it or not. Okay, and thank you. The next question from uh, Angie, who's probably making a list, but uh, she was asking in terms of planning for renovation, uh, your thoughts on carpeting versus hardwood floor or the new styles of flooring. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, it's I, again, I, I put it back to what you're going to do with the place. If, if you're going to buy, renovate, and flip, or buy and renovate and live in it, um, wood floors are definitely the way to go right now. They're very popular. Uh, wood floors uh, seems to be where everyone's going. If you're going the other route, then um, I find if you're renting, that carpeting, uh, it goes fast. Um, so you, you know, these, these laminate floor type things that look like a wood, is definitely what you you would want to um, you want to go out and and probably use in a rental or a multifamily renovation because um, I think that it takes a, a lot more wear and tear than uh, that. But if you're flipping something, then wood floor more than carpeting. People don't seem to be liking carpeting in today's world. Okay, sounds good. A great question just came across from Don in uh, Florida. And he was asking the uh, difference. Uh, all right. Um, he was asking the the difference with uh, uh, along the lines with the the flooring and so forth. But the 
Um, I'm just trying to want to kind of reinterpret the wording here. So um, his question along those same lines or with, uh, okay, on back to kind of the, the contractors and the scheduling and so forth. So um, he's wanting to know if uh, or what you think on um, the, the floor. Actually, I could tie this in with the flooring part. So he's saying as far as with your contractor estimates being uh, labor only, then as far as it's not only choosing between flooring and carpeting, using that example, but then what things do you look for in terms of materials when you're not experienced at it? I'm trying to reword this, but I see yeah. where he's going with that question. So, yeah. okay, you're going to look into getting the materials or right. pricing them, but, but then you don't it. know what's good, right. bad, or indifferent is right. kind of where he's going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, then that's, that's fair. Um, and, and actually I will say this, um, Menards, Home Depot, Lowe's, they're all really helpful. So you can go in um, and, and get the difference. So, so wood flooring, you know, what type of wood do you use in a wood flooring? Um, they will show you the differences um, and, 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 and you can see what a final thing looks like. Um, but, uh, but probably the better answer to the question is this. I don't expect you to necessarily run out to the store and buy the materials. I expect the general contractor to sit with you and go over a list of materials um, that both of you have signed off on that can be implemented in this. I'm hoping um, uh, that we can, you know, do something along those lines because the GC should have some input and that general, good general contractor will tell you, you know, here's the type of wood you use for flooring. Cabinetry, you know, for cabinetry can run the gamut um, in terms of expense. Um, fixtures, light fixtures can run the gamut. You, you should sit with the contractor and make a material list. I, I didn't want to say that you should go out and run out and, and, have, and be on your own. You should sit with, the, with that GC, go through that list, buy the material, have it delivered, and, and time it with when they're going to have those laborers there. Hey, along those same lines, this is something that comes up with the materials so in that case where maybe you as the investor or owner, landlord, whatever term, you're paying for the materials. So then do you have them delivered to the property? Does the contractor pick them up? And that brings up the whole scheduling thing. You don't want a bunch of materials sitting out in your driveway for a week before the contractor gets there. So what are some tips or strategies on making all that work? And that may come down to the general contractor, but, you know, but does it? Um, it? It does. I mean, you can coordinate that with a general contractor. Most general contractors would rather have you have it delivered from the point of origin to, to your project. And I would recommend that. Um, depending on a general contractor having to go get that. One other thing there, too, um, when I say labor, there are some things like nails and screws and stuff like that. The general contractor should be responsible for that. You shouldn't have to be buying those in your materials. I'm really talking about the major things that you should be responsible for. The rest of those things should be part of his bid and included in his pricing. So you shouldn't have to be worried about that, but it's best to have the place deliver the materials directly on site. Okay, and uh, another question that goes back to when we were talking about uh, zoning and permits and wondering if there's a difference in applying for a permit for multifamily or where it's considered commercial versus residential. He's asking, are those different permits or is there different research that needs to be done in order to acquire them? Um, th they, they are really pretty much the same permits. Um, the difference is that sometimes general contractors like let's say in the city of Chicago, for example, if I'm a general contractor and I'm, I, most of them hold that do residential have licenses that say they can only do projects of renovations up to a half a million dollars. If I go beyond that, I have to have a different type of the general contracting license. So that could be a, an issue if, if you're talking to a general contractor who normally does residential and you want to do commercial. Um, but the permit process is pretty much the same. The zoning process might be different. Again, if you know if you're 
trying to do a commercial building where it's zoned residential, that's going to be a problem. But generally speaking, um, the, the commercial and the, and the residential stuff are pretty much about the same process. Okay, and uh, we've got time for one, maybe two more, depending on the length of the answer here. But uh, the next one is in terms of uh, selecting or choosing the contractor among the estimates is uh, what are some, what are the best ways to check up? Because obviously their own website, if they have one's gonna be glowing. So is there a way to check with the village or see if there's any violations or what are some ways to kind of check up on a contractor? Yeah, you can, you can check in, in, in the village and see, um, you know, what, if, if they've had any issues. Um, I, I would always recommend you get three references and you actually go to those property because you're probably talking to a local general contractor, go to those properties and ask the people if you can see the work that that person did. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, get a copy of the license and ask the municipality off of their license if you've ever had any problems with this general contract. Uh, yeah, we can uh, squeeze in the uh, sure. uh, the one more question, and that just goes back to um, also, or goes back to the the research part at the beginning. And the uh, the question is with uh, kind of planning uh, or differences if with exterior work or interior work, and how how do you coordinate that? Uh, just kind of logistically, if you've got, you're doing something out on the deck, but you're doing something in one of the bathrooms, but is that good, bad, or indifferent when they're, it's on the same property, but not yet. Well, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. So it's kind of a coordination of trades question and, and generally a good general contractor will, will deal with that. However, yeah, you can have exterior work going with interior work. The, the only problems you have is, is what for us in the Midwest is weather. You know, you've got a situation where, um, you know, right now it's hard for us to do um, exterior work. Um, although now with the way cement is, you can pour foundations if it's, you know, above 40 degrees. So we're, that's a big movement that hasn't occurred in the past. So um, it, it, it's not an issue to um, have exterior and interior work going on at the same time. Um, again, the, the problem you have is that, you know, you don't want the painter uh, you want the floors in first and then the painter, you know, the painters are usually last and, you know, you want to have your plumber do the plumbing stuff and, and, and that before you obviously steal things out. So, so that's kind of the way I would, would, would answer that. Okay. We had a lot of great, uh, great questions tonight.